Welcome to the Break into Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds who broke into tech. So on today's episode, we sit down with Carly Robinson, who now works as a software engineer at Slack. What's interesting about Carly's story is she came from a non-traditional background. She was doing musical theater when she decided to quit her job and become a software engineer. On this episode, we do a deep dive to understand what led her to the decision to quit her very prolific career in musical theater to pursue software engineering. She also draws parallels between doing ballet and learning how to code. She discusses her journey through Hackbride and how meeting Katie Ford and working with her changed Carly's life. If you found this episode interesting, I would also suggest checking out episode number 18 with Preeti Kasreddy who did not do musical theater, but who did do venture capital and then quit her job in finance in order to become a software engineer. I hope you enjoy this and let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think, but we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table, getting eaten. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Arts and Timor Meister, and this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so tonight we're sitting out here at Slack. It's 7 p.m. on a Thursday night, and we just wrapped up the gathering hour. We're sitting here in the Green Heart Room with Biggie tunes playing in the background. Shout out Biggie, uh, R.I.P. R- Biggie. Yeah, R.I.P. Biggie. And we have a very special guest today. Arthur, please introduce our guest. Sure. So we're chatting with Kali Robinson today, who is a software engineer at a really cool Silicon Valley-based startup called Slack. For a lot of people, the process of changing careers is filled with uncertainty and self-doubt. However, it's amazing what a difference one year can make. Carly, can you take us back one year before you joined Slack as a software engineer and share with us where were you in your life, what you were going through, and what the process was like? Sure. So a year before I joined Slack, I was working at a nonprofit called Freedom for All in New York City. And just before that, I had just left my career in theater. Uh, I was doing musical theater in Chicago and New York, and I ended up working as a personal assistant to the woman who used to run Ford Models. Her name is Katie Ford. And shout out to Katie Ford. <laughs> shout out to Katie. Yeah. Shout out to Katie. She changed my life. <laughs> and I worked for her startup Freedom for All, or her startup, her nonprofit Freedom for All that worked in human trafficking. And I taught myself how to code after work. Wow. Wow. That's, that's an amazing story. And uh, there's definitely a lot of layers that we can unpack here. Why don't we start with the, with the theater part? How did you become an artist? Sure. So... My many people in my family are artists. <laughs> my aunt owned a dance school outside of Philadelphia, and shout out Philly. Shout out to Philly. How many? How, what kind of dance? She. We focused in ballet mostly, but they offered tap and jazz and musical theater. There was a dance company that I was a part of, and we traveled all over the country. Like, did you ever travel to Chicago and see Joffrey or anything like that? I have seen the Joffrey. I heard that you have some connections to the Joffrey. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to be on the auxiliary board for the Joffrey Ballet. Shout out to Dylan and, and yeah. Geraldine over there, Young and Culture. <laughs> yeah, they're a great ballet company. But yeah, I 
grew up dancing my aunt's dance school and ended up getting into theater through my family and like community. A lot of my mentors growing up were were actors and dancers and choreographers and directors. I ended up doing that professionally for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it's really cool to always, we talk a lot about our mentors on the show. And, um, you know, you mentioned a few of them just now. What are some of the things that they, some of the gems that they left you with that kind of like guided you through your life? We talked a little bit about this in the pre-chat. Sure. So my Aunt Teresa, shout out to her. She's awesome. She owned a dance school and she, I think, taught a lot of us that went through that dance school what it meant to sacrifice for something and to have like a strong sense of commitment. Yeah. Like I danced from the time I was in fourth grade through high school. I had dance after school. Like I was probably dancing almost 20 hours plus on top of school. And she was known for being really strict. Like her dance school was way stricter than a lot of the other dance schools in the area. And, you know, people would miss their family vacations to go. Yeah. Was she tougher on you because uh, you were a part of the family? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she was definitely sometimes tougher on me. But she also was really supportive of me. And, you know, like my experience growing up and like putting that many hours into learning ballet, it definitely, and really having to sacrifice for things. Like I, I eventually had to like quit sports. I like I couldn't wow. do... I couldn't do anything besides dance. Sacrifice and commitment. I mean, those those are very deep words and are applicable to a lot of things, uh, not just ballet. And it sounds like you were committed to a lot of things in order to be the best related to sacrifice for something. What were you sacrificing for? Well, at that point in my life, I was sacrificing hanging out with friends. <laughs> and like I was uh, sacrificing like in grade school and in high school, like I couldn't go to football games. I couldn't go to like things after school, like people would miss their prom pictures for like dance rehearsal. Yeah. And I had to sort of learn to be okay with that. And I kind of learned over time that I, I don't know, there was a benefit to that and it wasn't, it wasn't everything. So what was your vision for yourself, your goal when you said, Hey, when I grow up, I want to be, do you want to be on Broadway? Did you want to be in movies? What was your goal at that time? So I definitely was more my goal is to be on Broadway and to do musical theater professionally. And that I discovered, I actually didn't really discover I could sing or do anything like that until high school. I had randomly decided to take singing lessons because I was afraid I wasn't going to get into the play. And I ended up my junior and senior year getting into getting the lead of my play in the play at my school, which was like a really big theater school in the area which is why I went to my high school. And after that, I started getting really interested in it. I applied to a summer program where I had done a couple of summer programs. I, I, was, uh, I had done a pre-professional ballet program out in San Francisco with Alonzo King Lines Ballet. Big. And then I did a program through Carnegie Mellon. That okay. was for musical theater. Another my one. junior year of high school. That was all in high school? That was all in high school. <laughs> and so, so you could sing and you could dance. I did discover that. Wow! And so, what 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 uh what part do you sing? 
<laughs> it's kind of they describe it a little differently in in uh, musical theater. Like uh, you kind of have to be able to sing alto and soprano, okay. and you have to. They call it legit for and belting. Okay, um, which are like I don't know if you've listened to Frozen. Yeah, or like, of course. Yeah, of course. Or like, yeah. It's one of the best-selling Let movies it go. of all time. Best-selling movies of all time. I would say Idina Menzel in that is belting. Okay. And so we might ask you to sing later on on the podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't tell me about that. <laughs> so can you take us um, to kind of what is the career as a professional kind of musical theater actress like? Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of our listeners appreciate theater, but they may not appreciate all the struggles and all the challenges that actors face. So. Can you give us just a taste of what that lifestyle is like? like is it kind of like Black Swan? Mm, yeah, sometimes. Minus <laughs> the drugs. Yeah. It's definitely a, an intense profession. There's a lot of, like from the time I was, I started going into it, people always tell you, you know, there's going to be a lot of rejection and you're, there's not a lot of job security and there is you're constantly auditioning for your next job. There's it's a pays very little money. Even if you make it on Broadway, it's your job security is it's not is not there. Like you get on a Broadway show and it could close the next day. <laughs> and uh and like there's also, you know, but people just like they love it and they're really passionate about it and they aren't in it for the money. And that was something that really inspired me when I was younger. Was the people that I met who were artists were just were some of the most influential people in my life because they were storytellers and they were passionate about changing the world through storytelling and enough to the point where they were willing to give up all security. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that is that what you studied in school was theater? Uh, yes, I studied. I went to Northwestern for uh, film and musical theater and acting so while you're uh, so even in high school and college as you're taking all these theater classes you're also balancing that with academic classes mm-hmm. so how did you perform i think later on it will actually play a big role but like when we start talking about your transition into engineering but were you a good student uh, in high school and college were you tedious like did you do all your homework uh, and, and talk about that application process into college as well please oh yeah yeah i mean i was a good student I definitely would, I would, like, my mom would get mad at me because I would be up to, like, three or four in the morning because I would get back from dance at, like, 10, and then I'd start my homework. And so I did I did really well in, in school. And then when I was applying to colleges, I actually, because at that point I, um, I had really decided I wanted to do musical theater. And part of that was there was a series of events that kind of made me decide I wanted to do it professionally and, like, kind of figure out if I could do it. And one of those was we were at a dance competition and there was like a bunch of Broadway shows that were auditioning us and I made it to the end of uh, the auditions for A White Christmas. And my whole senior year studied with the choreographer up in New York who choreographed White Christmas and choreographed 42nd Street on Broadway. But my mom really wanted me to go to college. (laughs) So... I decided to spend my time like applying to conservatories and I applied the only regular schools I applied to were Northwestern and Villanova because I had a bunch of family that went to Villanova. I didn't get into Northwestern the first time and how that make you feel? Well at the time I, I didn't really know that 
much about it. I had applied really late in the process and I was so focused on just preparing for auditions because for when you're auditioning for musical theater, you have to get into the school and then you also have to travel to all of the schools and basically perform to get in and you're really getting in on your performance skills. And uh, But then I decided I, I had gotten into a couple of conservatories. I even had a deposit down at one. <laughs> And I like kind of chickened out and or not I just something didn't feel right. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna just go to I'd I'd gotten into Villanova and I decided to go there and kind of just supplement my theater on the side. Like I, I thought I'd oh, you know, I'll go to class, I'll take voice lessons and dance lessons and go up to New York. And that was the plan, but and once I got there I realized that I was really I really enjoyed the academics. I had a philosophy professor who was really influential in my life at Who's that point. Who's your favorite philosopher? Uh, hmm, my favorite philosopher. That's a good question. <laughs> uh, um, to I'm going to have to come back to that. But my favorite philosophy professor was John Immerar. He was awesome. Shout out to John. Shout out to John. Yeah. He was, had a big influence in my life too. He had like really kind of like uh, gave me a lot of confidence in myself academically at Villanova. He like pitched me so that I to be in the honors program and wrote all my college like recommendations. It's beautiful. And I realized I really liked school, but I still wanted to go like do theater and Villanova did not have a good enough program at that point. So I decided to try again for Northwestern. Mm-hmm. So in our pre-chat, you kind of shared with us kind of your passion for theater, obviously, and like mm-hmm. growing up, that's kind of consumed your life and you went to college to study theater, you graduated, you got a job and you were going on auditions. You were part of some very big musicals. So take us back to the moment when you kind of realized that, I guess once you already made it there, like tell us a little bit of kind of like what it was like, kind of was it what you expected it to be? And then what motivated you to push yourself further to discover other paths beyond theater? Sure. So I ended up going to Northwestern and studying theater there and Afterwards, I worked professionally, but I think by the time I was actually like working professionally in theater, I, I'd been in a production of Hairspray and Grease. And, wow, that's awesome. And uh, the production of Hairspray I was in, I was at uh, Drew Lane in Chicago. And Great theater. I was in, uh, one of my co-cast members was Tim Kazarinski, mm-hmm. who is a SNL, SNL alum. Felicia Fields, who was nominated for a Tony for The Color Purple. Wow, um, you're famous. I mean, but they are. <laughs> <laughs> they were, but it was really fun to get to work with like that caliber of talent mm-hmm. after yeah. school. And it sounds like as a little girl, you mentioned your dream was to get to that level. Yeah, I mean, it was what and, I. Yeah, it was what I. It was my goal. I I'd had kind of like. I remember one time I had uh, one of my dance teachers growing up was advising me when I decided that I was going to try to do theater professionally. And he was like, you know, you have to have tunnel vision <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to succeed. Mm-hmm. 100%. And so I guess uh, I was asking like kind of what, um, so once you made it and once you became an actress yeah. on, uh, in theater, what made you kind of realize that you wanted to push yourselves beyond theater and explore beyond other theater. career paths? Right. Okay. And in the in the beginning, you had your 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 tunnel vision. It's kind of like a yeah. blinders on, and you won the race. You, I mean, you got there. Yeah. You know, to what you wanted to do, but you know, once you got there and you were looking at the view on the top of that hill, mm-hmm. you know, there was another 
thing that was in your, on your mind? Or yeah. there are some situations that you ran into that yeah. made you start considering some things. Yeah. So after I graduated, I was working in theater professionally. And, you know, I was, I think I had kind of, there were a couple of reasons why I decided to can start considering other things. It was definitely, it was like at the, it was hard times financially for everybody. It was like right at the end of the Great Recession. <laughs> like my family was definitely struggling at that point. And I knew, I guess I sort of started to get tired of the pettiness of some of the things in theater like like I like when I was growing up theater was always like an, an escape for me it, when things were not going well like with my family or, or we were think hard times were happening therapeutic yeah it was very therapeutic and when I got to actually doing it professionally I think that I just like I don't know I remember one time I was in a production of Greece and people didn't like the choreography and people were getting like so hellbent over and like upset over the fact that they didn't like this choreography and I just remember feeling like this is so petty and like what do we do it like I, I just felt like I didn't have I wasn't making the impact I wanted to make it's kind of like haters <laughs> leaving comments on blog posts that they don't like when they're actually really good is that kind of same type of thing? Uh, yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it was uh, her choreography. It was just yeah, people no, were... It's, uh, it's just like it could be great choreography, but everybody has their own opinion. Yeah. They yeah. left a comment but I think it also kind of comes down to politics, and there's a lot of politics in the workplace, like in corporate world, but mm -hmm. it sounds like there was also some politics and just personalities or just in, uh, in theater people, as well. People, in general, people leave comments about things, and they're not always going to like it. That's just but art. You mentioned yeah, something about impacts. Have it's, it sounds like at that point you also wanted to do something greater or to have a bigger impact. Yeah, like I, I, I just kind of, I wanted to. Uh, the one of the last shows I was, I was in uh, was Pajama, the Pajama Game, which is about like labor rights, <laughs> and it was interesting because it was like right around, uh, it was like 2013, and so like the social commentary was that. You know, all these actors were fighting for a fair fair wage and to wow. get seven and a half cents for their like minimum wage was a lot back then. And I just felt like as talented as everybody was and as entertaining as the show was, I felt like I could do something that actually made a difference. Like I wanted to do that at that point. And uh, I also had, we kind of talked about, I'd been exposed to tech in college because Northwestern has a really great theater program. They also have a really great engineering program. And I had some really good friends at the time who were engineers and they were, they had founded their own startup when we were an undergrad. And what's the name of it? It's called Design for America. It was Merton Yuri. We all lived in the same dorm together. And I would come back from like rehearsal super late and they'd be like talking about their startup that kind of took off like wildfire across what, what universities. So Design for America, it's like a, it's a program that is at a lot of universities now that uh, basically anyone from any background, no matter what you're majoring in, can participate. And they come together to use design thinking to solve social issues in their local communities. Awesome. And they still exist today. Yeah, they still exist. Shout out to Martin. Very cool. So that's you were introduced <laughs> so to that. that was, would you, would, so you mentioned you were growing up and you had a lot of mentors who were in theater, but was that one of the first times when you actually encountered people working on startups, engineers? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, one of the, the main reason I wanted to do theater when I was 
younger and why I latched onto it so much was I just felt like it was it was so powerful and it was and the people in my life like you know my aunt Teresa and Mr. Farina were so passionate about the power of theater to change people's lives and to impact the world and just like that really inspired me and I I loved being around people who were so passionate about what they were doing and I just wasn't exposed to anyone on really who was passionate about anything else in that mm-hmm. same capacity um, until I got to college. Mm-hmm. And I really met people who were doing things that I thought were really cool. Got it. And then when you graduated, you kind of, you know, before you got onto that hairspray opportunity, you were, that's when you started doing Code Academy, right? Yeah, it was. So when I first, when I first graduated, I had gotten cast in hairspray, but it didn't start for a few months. So I had to do all these random jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, I was babysitting. I worked for like chocolate tours of Chicago. I um, was a waitress. And I just, I don't know, I, I didn't like that part of the lifestyle. So I, I remember I was on Facebook one day and I saw an ad for Code Academy. I think there was like, I think actually two of my classmates at Northwestern who I wasn't, I didn't really know, but they uh, had started. Um, it's called Founders League or Founder School in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Oh, Starter League. Starter League. Oh, yes. Neil Sells Griffin. So he, yeah. he's the founder that he actually is out here now. He oh, started what? a new program. Oh, yeah. that's crazy. Well, nice. that was definitely what initially inspired it. That I was in 1871, right? I'm not sure, but that's, yeah. in, that's in Chicago. In Chicago? Yep. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so I I saw they had a they had an ad that was like, oh, like anyone can learn to code. And it was this thing kind of this novel idea that anyone could teach themselves how to code mm-hmm. no matter what their background was. And, and what year was that? That was 2012, mm-hmm. maybe, or 2013, I think it was. And then at the same time, Code Academy came out. And so I started playing around with that in between shows and started to realize that I really liked it. And and what's uh, Code Academy like? Like, Can what, you describe just what that uh, course is like? So they actually have like a bunch of courses. I mean, it's, it's changed a lot now since it was couple of years ago but they basically had all of these courses for you know php ruby on rails javascript html css python and um it was it basically went through all the fundamentals of those classes or of those uh programming languages and um i just i started playing around with it i really liked kind of like i think i i I didn't expect myself to be able to do it at all. And the fact that I was understanding it at all was really exciting. <laughs> and so, and it's so kind of it like, like a game, right? It's like there's challenges, there's multiple steps, it's interactive. Yeah. Um, so it feels like you're playing a game in some ways, but you're also learning how to code, so which is even cooler. Yeah. And it sounds like at that point in time, you were just you just wanted to keep your mind occupied with something. So you started to play around with Code Academy at that point. You didn't think about being an engineer, did you? Or was it just something that you wanted to like dip your toes in just to see what it was like? I mean, it was definitely at that point I was just dipping my toes in. Yeah. Um and but I knew that I like wanted to make a change and I thought and originally I thought, "Oh, maybe I could teach myself how to code and I, that could be like I could do that instead of the random Waitress. jobs yeah. <laughs> or babysitting and so that was your plan b yeah basically basically <laughs> yeah engineer i guess um actress by day and then engineer at night 
<laughs> yeah. I didn't think about it like that at the time, but I guess. <laughs> That's pretty dope. I like that. I like that. And so you were going through this program, you're doing this theater, and then you started to, you ran into some situations that made you decide to actually take this a little bit more serious. Can you talk about that transition? Sure. So, yeah, when I was, I was doing theater and I was actually, I was doing pretty well. I was, I was getting a lot of steady work. I had a great agent, but I, I knew that I, I needed to make a change and just, I needed to, I don't know. I had student loans that were coming up and mm-hmm. I had like a sister, a sister and my, my, my mom and was, she was having trouble finding a job. She was getting back into the workforce after the recession and she was a single mom at the time. She didn't like have a lot of support. And I mean, she definitely didn't want me to quit theater at all. Like she was like, don't do that. Like I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And I, Shout out to mom. <laughs> she, she was amazing. She's an amazing mom. Yeah, she did not want me to to stop at all. She was like willing to do anything to like make me keep doing theater mm-hmm. and like reach my goal of that. And yeah, but I all at eventually like at that point I was kind of like I don't think I can listen to you anymore. Like <laughs> <laughs> I think that you're being illogical. And I or safe like a lot of like even <laughs> our parents when they when we first told them that we were considering leaving our jobs and doing something completely different, mm-hmm. their first reaction was like why like just stick to what you know and i think a lot of the times um even like the parents they might know a lot about theater or like in our case our parents knew a lot about business it's not like they didn't want the best for us they just might not have not known a lot about engineering at that time oh yeah she knew nothing about computers (laughs) or the tech world she could like hardly double click her mouse like (laughs) that was a thing yeah and (laughs) even though art isn't isn't the safe it's probably more risky to do art versus being safe but you know that's Mm -hmm. all she knew Right. Yeah. Well, I think I think it was also she had watched like she sacrificed a lot for me to do it. And also like I was I was good at it. And and so many people had been supporting me like I had like a random uh, the way. The only reason I was able to go to Carnegie Mellon that one summer is because some random person who saw my high school play like anonymously donated money for me to go. And so it goes back to that sacrifice. commitment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I, I still to this day don't know who did that, but they changed my life. And, yeah. <laughs> and we often say that if you have a compelling story, people will go out of their way to help you. And in your case, you were grinding. You were it was a compelling working. performance. Yeah, it was a compelling <laughs> performance. Help you. And people helped you. So we know you ended up uh, teaching yourself how to code and becoming an engineer. Can you take us through the, that journey of how did you cross that bridge from theater into engineering? Sure. So it was... It was not an easy bridge to cross <laughs> and it definitely didn't happen overnight. And it was, so I, I had started to teach myself how to code. I decided to, that I was going to leave acting. And I realized when I was teaching myself how to code that I, I wanted to, to do a boot camp, and I wanted to, I needed more structure and, but I was an actor and I had no money and I, and like i just I needed to quit and I so I started looking for a job in New York so that I could be closer to home because at the time I was living in Chicago and so that I could save money so that I could go to a boot camp (laughs) and I ended up getting a referral to work as a personal assistant at first uh, to the woman who used to run Ford Models. I used to I worked for Katie Ford and I helped her run her foundation that works in human trafficking. Wow. 
and which was an incredible experience. Freedom for all. You should donate to them. Shout <laughs> before, out. before talking talking about that, like who was this random friend that introduced you to? Uh, she was a, a good friend from, from college. We had connected because she was also, her mom had been on Broadway and she was really interested. We, we did, had theater courses together or film courses together. And, um, I think we just had connected in, in college and then afterwards we kind of lost touch, but cause we were, I was living in Chicago and she was living in New York and. So it was just kind of a... Since she heard you were moving out there, mm-hmm. Katie had been to one of her performances, and then is well, that how it happened? No. Um, so she was already working for, for Katie um, as Got her, it. for the foundation. So it was kind of, she had referred me because she had just, they needed a new assistant. <laughs> can, you take us, can you take us back? So you're, um, you just moved to New York. You have this plan of doing a coding boot camp. How were you preparing to get accepted into a coding boot camp? And also... How did you even find out about coding boot camps in the first place? Sure. So it was right. It was way before I even quit acting. When I was looking up, like like doing, going through all the Code Academy stuff, I was just doing research, and and these boot camps were were kind of like popping up, Flatiron School and uh, Hackbright, and it was a pretty like novel concept at the time, and 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 I think the founders of those programs were. We're really trying to pitch that this idea that anyone could teach themselves how to code. And I remember reading like blog posts. I, I, there was one that the, one of the Flatiron School founders wrote about comparing learning to program and code to like learning a craft. And he, all the parallels he was drawing, I, I realized was really similar to what I had done in learning ballet growing up. And that, I think that's when I realized that I could potentially actually do you remember what those parallels were uh yeah so i think that the parallels between coding and and studying any kind of like disciplined craft Mm -hmm. are that you know like for ballet you do the same like ballet classes are the same series of moves from the time you're like three till the time you're a professional Mm -hmm. and you're doing the same movement over and over again you're you're toning your muscles like several like every single day and you're getting stronger and and over time you realize that as you're doing things like consistently that you gradually get better and and things click over time and you're always you're always kind of like learning something deeper but that also that requires sacrifice it requires discipline and it requires like i guess like a mentality of you know constant improvement mm-hmm. uh, i guess you could call it like a growth mentality mm-hmm. yeah. growth mindset and kind of like those those same dance moves and steps that you're taking are kind of like scales and etudes and eventually that's like the structure you get better at those but then you like put them together in different ways and that turns into performances Is that kind of yeah I, I mean there well i also saw a lot of parallels between just like how actors and dancers like think about how like all the things that you have to think about <laughs> at once and when you get to a high level it's all about the details like I, I was once told in an audition that like you know the difference between having your hand in like a really like extended jazz hand and like a relaxed jazz hand would get you cut and like <laughs> you could be great and have all the moves right but like it was at a hot when you were at the professional level it was about style yeah and style is details so it's not just about 
knowing the notes, you got to, you know, add some flair to it. So it's kind of like how your code looks, maybe. I think it's just being able to like, I don't know, like I remember when I was first teaching myself how to code, I went through learn Python the hard way. And one of the things that he said was like, you have to train yourself to look at every little like every line of code, like you can't skim over anything. You have to like force yourself to look at the at the commas and make sure there's a period and make sure like you're not like just like glossing over and like by forcing yourself to read every little thing you become better at you just become a more thorough programmer and I related to that with dance because that was like you're constantly at the high level it's not about whether you have the dance moves right it's about like the space between your pinky and your middle finger (laughs) and when your hand when you have your hand out so it's not like you applied the intensity you've developed for theater to learning how to code yeah, uh, which then, <laughs> which then, and, and, and like that attention to detail, and then eventually that led you to attending a coding boot camp, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it sounds like that Flatiron School post resonated deeply with you. Mm-hmm. But what made you choose Hackbright? So I ended up choosing Hackbright because I really liked the fact that it was all women. I had been reading a lot about the industry, and I, you know, there's definitely a it was an interesting choice because I'd never gone to like an all girls like education program before. And I was like, oh, you know, like the pros and cons are, well, it is a male dominated industry. Why, why go be with all women? But I was really drawn in by the fact that when I would, I, I read a bunch of articles about why women leave tech or, or like were leaving tech. And it was because of like the lack of network. And, you know, like the reason Part of one of the things that people would talk about being frustrating was, you know, the fact that like all the guys would they just have this bond like they can all go out to beer together and like, you know, or like not that girls don't go get beers, but like do like broy things. And and it's not always like comfortable for for girls to be there. And those relationships are, you know, over time, what grows your career? Like people like recommend their friends and or start begin startups with their friends and so I ended up really wanting the Hackbright experience because I, I was impressed by the network. Yeah. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about Hackbright? Are they just based out on the West Coast or are they on both coasts? What is that? Um, where are they based out of? So right now, I think Hackbright's just in San Francisco. And um, when I was going through, it's definitely, it's grown a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's based in San Francisco. So it sounds like you moved to New York to save up some money and now mm-hmm. you're ready to leave the east coast and move all the way out west which is a really big deal i know for a lot of our listeners including arthur and i when we were going to do a boot camp we also wanted to fi- figure out how can we how can we afford this financially mm-hmm. so it's expensive to live in san francisco on top of it a lot of the boot camps cost a lot of money can you share with our listeners how you approached saving up for the boot camp and how did you end up affording it so I've been saving for like a year and a half almost before I decided to apply. And even then it was like, it was hard because when I first started to set out saving, the boot camps were like $5,000. And by the time I was like, felt ready, I, they were like 15 grand. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And that's a lot of money because, because at that point in time, um, you also couldn't just get like financial aid from uh, yeah. the government. So you had to actually pay up. Right. Uh, up front. Yeah. There was no like loans or anything yeah. like that. I mean, you could, there were some loans that, that popped up, but I mean, I didn't want to take out any extra loans. I already had like my yeah. student loans that I would have to pay. And uh, 
so I had been saving and my I had a lot of support from my old boss, Miss Ford, and she, Katie. Uh, she had known that I I was studying and t- trying to teach myself how to code, and that I like wanted to make this transition. And she actually, and for my Christmas present before I left to come out here, she sponsored me to go to my boot camp. Shout out, wow, to Katie. <laughs> that's beautiful. So Katie changed my life. That's um, amazing. And that is not. That is just like a part of the way that she positively influenced me. But uh, yeah, she definitely enabled me to make this transition. And how was the Hagbrad experience? Uh, It was great. I had a great experience. I think it was, I had probably overprepared because I was afraid, because I figured, well, most of the people I knew that were applying to boot camps had technical backgrounds in some sense. I didn't know anyone else who had done like gone from the extreme of like something like theater. And so I really didn't know how well I would do. And so I did a lot of work beforehand (laughs) so that by the time I got there, it was like review. What was your playbook beforehand? Code Academy, what else did you do to kind of like get ready? Sure. So I I told myself I wasn't going to apply to boot camp until I finished all of the Code Academy courses. Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen overnight either. Like I definitely retried them and <laughs> and like let it sink in and finally I finished them and I had applied to I applied to Hackbright but I hadn't really built anything I had just taken some courses so I don't think they really bought my my story that uh like being good at ballet would uh actually make me a good programmer so I actually didn't get accepted the first time I applied oh interesting <laughs> And so what was that process like? Can you just talk a little bit about the application process and then... Back to the playbook. Yeah. What was that like, uh, getting rejected? Sure. I mean, I was expecting it <laughs> because I was like, I kind of was like, okay, you know, I don't know enough to know if to know if this is a com- compelling argument. And I figured when they re- rejected me, I was kind of like, okay, well, like, yeah, that's fair. I, I don't, I need to prove myself more. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to apply again the next time. And it was funny. Uh, I uh, Code Academy had, around the same time I applied to Hackbright, sent out an email about a pilot program they were doing in New York that was a 12-week part-time program. And it was mostly like JavaScript. And uh, it was JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and six weeks of Ruby on Rail. And I found out I got into that pilot program the day that I got rejected from Hackbright. <laughs> wow. So it kind of worked out. Was it an in-person or an online program? It was in-person. Nice. So it was, we would meet, uh, it was about like 30 hours a week on wow. top of work. We would meet on Saturdays and we, and during the week. And um, yeah, at, by the end of that program, I had, uh, we built our own web apps and I got to like, we had learned how to use Git. And for our final project, we worked in groups of four and a bunch of us, we pitched our app ideas. I, mine was called Time for Broadway. <laughs> and it was, a, it was like an app that made it easier to go to open calls. Nice. Um, <laughs> That's cool. And uh, it was cool because I got to sort of like lead my first software engineering project. And I was like the feature lead on this little little team of us that we really didn't know what we were doing, but it was, it gave me a lot of confidence. And they also ranked us at Code Academy. And I ended up like halfway through the program, 
I got onto like the top five and I was like, wow. whoa, that's exciting. Like, that's cool. And then by the end of the program, I was uh, ranked at the top of my class. Wow. And I was like, whoa, like, I can do this. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> did, did you show that app to your aunt? I actually don't know if she's seen that yet, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but, um, yeah. So when I, the second time around, when I applied, I had a lot more to say because I had yeah. actually yeah. had for, myself. for the listeners who are trying to learn how to code at this point in time, what would you say was the biggest thing that helped you grab those fundamentals of computer science? I remember one thing that I thought about when I was going through all the Code Academy classes was I looked at it as an opportunity to really get the fundamentals down. Because I know like when I was comparing it to ballet, like I think when I was at a more advanced level, the things that helped me back were like weaknesses and fundamentals. And so when I, when I wanted to, I saw it as like this fresh opportunity where I was like, oh, like if I, if I can just nail these fundamentals and know them like the back of my hand that like, and give myself a good foundation. So like what that looked like in practice was, you know, going through, if I didn't fully understand like the Ruby course, the first time I went through it on Code Academy, I redid it. Yeah, and if you were sitting down with someone that's been through ballet, they wants to do what you would do, and they want to master fundamentals, what are the fundamentals that you would tell them to master? For ballet? No, for oh, coding. For so coding. Like moving. <laughs> yeah. but like, let's say it's somebody that, that's inspired by you, wants to follow your path. What are the fundamentals that they need to know? I mean, I mean, going through, just like basic, like when you go through Code Academy, you get, you get familiar with the syntax, and you learn about for loops and while loops and, and sort of these basic structures basic data structures and algorithms but you don't really think of them as an algorithm at that point so i think that's like a clever code academy has a very clever way of of teaching computer science it's almost like i think in my experience with the code academy they almost showed you the tools to use but they didn't tell you like oh like this is what the tool um like will help you do they just said hey start doing it yeah so they almost um a lot of the times uh each problem has a section next to it that will actually tell you what the answer is so if you're going through it and you're struggling the first time they'll pretty much walk you they'll hold your hand and they'll Mm -hmm. walk you through each process step by step and they start showing you like oh like if this is the tool let's say it's a hammer you're gonna hold it like this you're gonna hit it and you're gonna do this with this hammer but then it progressively gets harder to the point where now you get to the point where you have to think creatively to say hey now i have this problem that i have all these different tools that i can use so what, what would be the best tool for that job? So I definitely think that what you mentioned about fundamentals, it's mm-hmm. super important to be able to understand how to use those data structures. Yeah, also and- taking classes multiple times. I get a lot of people who I chat with who are beginners and they'll take a course on Code Academy or somewhere else and they're like, damn, it was actually hard. <laughs> but this is also their first course, programming course they've ever taken. So for people listening, if you've uh, attempted to do a course and you find it difficult, I mean, most people find it difficult when they start out. And I guess what separates people that kind of pursue it versus people who stop is they try it again and again and again, and they try different courses and they come back to that first one. And you'll see over time, things will start clicking, right? It's kind of like ballet, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. It's the same movements, just the more you do it, the more comfortable you get, the more, yeah, Yeah, it becomes second muscle memory. So you got the fundamentals, things are clicking, you go through a break, it's amazing. Then comes the hard, hard part. You talked about the hard part, mm-hmm. even though all that was hard. Mm-hmm. Talk about the job search. Well, I would say 
I mean, the job search is is hard because you're go through all the computer science fundamentals and they kind of teach you at least the Hackbrite. You spend the last the last month of the program building your own app. You're the only person working on it. And they really don't introduce too much like whiteboarding until the end. So at the like right before you're about to like go apply to coding positions, there's a lot of pressure to be able to do these whiteboarding problems on uh, <laughs> in front of people who have years of engineering experience and are judging you and it's intense. But uh, I actually got lucky with the job hunt because <laughs> I uh, Hackbright had a career day and I met a lot of the companies that I interviewed with through that career day um, where I got to present my project, my final project and kind of like kick off the interview process from there and that's where I met Slack and yeah I I had an I got through I think I was in final round interviews for like four companies and had one offer before I had gone into my final interview for Slack and then I ended up getting an offer at Slack it was like probably about a month out so the career day was like a workshop or like presentations and then a bunch of companies there and then they like recruit all the people that are there or try to talk to all the people that are there. How did that look like? So the career day was all the Hackbright students would, we would, we had our own little table and um, the employers that came would rotate around and we'd have seven minutes with each employer and we would talk to them about our background and we'd talk to them about our project and just like any questions. Got it. Got it. And so did you, after that, I know you, you did get into the final round, but did you mm-hmm. send out? Any applications to get those those other interviews and that other offer, or how did that look like? Did they tell you you need to structure your job search process a certain kind of way? So, I think the one, the short answer is no. Um, I, but I think the more hopeful answer for people who are like looking to break in is that, I mean, I think the one thing that is makes the boot camps worth it is the networking opportunities. Yeah, because you can teach yourself how to code. Like there isn't. I mean, it's nice to have the structure, but, you know, you could do that on your own. You could take online classes. But for me, and I had done a lot of work, like I could have potentially started trying to do interviews before going to Hackbrite. But I knew that that was, I don't know, there's like Hackbrite has a really great career services division. And I mean, I I think, but like I also was lucky There, there were people in my cohort that it's sort of random. Like some people were searching for jobs for six months. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in your case, um, Hackbrite was almost like the second boot camp that you went through. Yeah, because the first one was part time. You spent, you mentioned a year and a half studying, so mm-hmm. you were pretty prepared for uh, the job hunt. And I'm sure Slack realized how talented you were, so they uh, obviously all these companies wanted to have you. Yeah, and so and then you know now that you're in San Francisco and you're doing this type of work, you've been here for a year. You said. Mm-hmm. You know, what does your day to day look like? I've got to do some really cool things at Slack this year. I've worked on our enterprise product, which when I first started didn't exist. Um, we were building Slack up from kind of like a basically a whole new version of Slack that was. And fun. what is Slack for the listeners? Oh, so Slack is um, it's like a workplace chat app that I probably I probably shouldn't call it a chat app. They don't like the word chat. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's a workplace communication tool that facilitates like it's basically like private chat rooms for for big companies that facilitates work 
and it replaces emails for big companies. So yeah. you're not just having emails and silos. There's like channels where, which are like threads where your whole team can communicate. You can upload documents, different files, and uh, just communicate all in one place. And yeah. it's blowing up. Like yeah, every and major st- company is using yeah. it now. There's a lot of companies using it. I think my company has like 800 Slack channels. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. But it's pretty popular because you could have uh, like the channels could be like a few people or it could be a, a whole company on the same channel. And there's different interest groups and clubs. And it's just a really neat way for people to communicate and just been blowing up yeah. Silicon so Valley and all over the United States. So what does your day-to-day look like? So my day-to-day looks like I come in to work and I will usually check Slack and then I'll go into my engineering test for the day. We'll have a stand-up with my team. Uh, stand-up is basically just what engineers check do to check in in the morning, tell each other what we're working on. And then I like will go and just start coding um, whatever my task is, <laughs> tasks are on my plate for the day. And uh, sometimes I'll have interviews. But yeah, it's a lot of coding. And so now that you've uh, kind of been here for a year and it sounds like you, now you're on the other side of the interviewing table, mm-hmm. what is that like? And kind of what advice do you have for folks beginning their interview process? Sure. I mean, I have a fun interview <laughs> that I get to do because <laughs> I get to do um, kind of like our culture interview. So I get to really focus on making people feel comfortable in the interview and making and hearing their stories outside of work sometimes. But I, I think that for Slack in particular, you know, people here are really, are really down to earth and hardworking. And, you know, you'll find a lot of people like, like Rodney and there's so shout many, out Rodney. Yeah, shout out yeah. Rodney and so many other people who have these like incredible stories of resilience and persistence. And I think that is, that's a quality that a lot of Slack employees have across the board. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought up culture. You know, not just because of Rodney and all these other things, but Slack has actually been a leader on this subject. And, you know, you've you've been outspoken about it, not just internally. I saw you put some tweets up recently mm-hmm. about some things that were going on in the news. And then, you know, we connected to Twitter. Like, can you describe like what Slack's culture is and why they are regarded uh, or they tend to be regarded so highly in that regard? Sure. I mean, in my experience, like, this was the first time I'd, I'd worked for like a, a company that has like company values. <laughs> and I, it's funny because I, especially when I, when I first started, I really found that those values were true in a lot of the people I, I came across and like, gosh, hopefully I'll remember them all. But it's like courtesy and empathy and craftsmanship and playfulness and solidarity. And I think I might be missing one, but I think that those are all things that I mean, the playfulness part, you can see it when you walk into the, the office. There's like, a conference room uh, named <laughs> Shake. And, there's, uh, there's all the conference rooms are named after emojis. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, our CEO is really down to earth. Pretty much all the execs are really down to earth. It's definitely in a, a place that seeks to be inclusive, that seeks to, you know, our, the mission is to make the world simpler, more pleasant and more productive or the workplace simpler, more pleasant, and more productive. Yeah. And I think that that kind of making the world a better place, <laughs> yeah. not to like be a stereotypical yeah. Silicon yeah. Valley or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but like, I think that our CEO really cares about that. Like for our company gift when uh, last Christmas, he gave us all a copy of 
Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy, which is about like Brian Stevenson is um, a he, I think he, he's a lawyer for the Southern Poverty Law Center. Oh, wow. uh, and he wrote a book about reforming the prison system. Wow. And like that was our company gift. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's heavy. <laughs> um, and, and you guys are definitely leaders in, in inclusiveness. And we didn't talk a lot about this, but while you now that you've been here, you went to Hackbright that was all women. Mm-hmm. Uh, you worked with uh, the nonprofit that's focused on human trafficking. In Oakland, there's a lot of issues with human trafficking and internet on international and everywhere out here. Like, how did that affect you? And like, are you still involved with that type of work at all today? Yeah, I mean, I still volunteer with with Freedom for All, and I I set up as soon as I like <laughs> got this job, I set up a recurring monthly donation to to the foundation because I think. I mean, I used to I used to run the grants and and finances for this foundation that worked with nine on the ground organizations around the world that was going in and rescuing people from slavery. Wow! And you know, I met a lot of survivors in New York, and I mean, it's definitely it's a sobering issue that is really bad here. But there are I have a lot of hope because I know the people that are on the front lines really trying to make a difference and i know like freedom for all has like rescued in the last year alone like thousands of of women and and children and and even men from sexual slavery from labor slavery there's so much yeah and you know there's like i this is probably an out-of-date statistic but like i think it's like four million women and children get trafficked into the united states alone every year yeah. And a lot of that comes through Oakland, a lot of that comes through San Francisco, a lot of it comes through New York. And yeah, it's it's a tough issue, but there are it's gotten a lot more and mostly I think that my old boss Katie had a huge had a huge deal to, or had a huge impact on getting it on the radar of the world. You mentioned a program that's teaching. Oh, right. What's that program again? So Annie Cannons is nonprofit based in San Francisco that works to teach survivors of human trafficking how to code. Wow. So they're a really great organization that I've been involved with and talking to the founders. Hopefully now now that I'm not uh now that I know what I'm doing a little more, <laughs> I have a lot more time to actually like go and volunteer. So yeah. So yeah. looking kind of back on your career journey of being a theater to working in nonprofits to now working in tech as an engineer. Kind of, what are some, um, I guess, takeaways? What are some perils that you find in your day to day? And I guess, what advice would you have for someone else who is also either in theater or nonprofits who is considering uh, opportunities beyond the field they're currently in? Sure. So I think that something that was really important for me it was like, there's the the difference between like when you tell little kids that they're they're good at something or, or you praise them because they're good at it versus whether they worked hard. And I think that for me, that was something I thought about a lot when I was making the transition was, you know, focusing on like when I was doing theater, I think I was doing it more because I had people like told me I was I was good at it versus for engineering. Like I didn't have that. It wasn't like connected to my identity that way. And it was something that I wanted and it was something that I like decided that I wanted to do. And I, I think having that tunnel vision and like not being afraid of, you know, not doing it because 
you want to be the best or want to be like like I never did it because I was like oh I'm so smart like I did it because I like really liked it and I wanted to be good at it and I wanted to be better at it and I think having like that growth mindset and having like being willing to put in the work and also just sort of deciding that you're going to do it and that you're not going to give up I think like that decision is a big deal to like prove it to yourself yeah and we're all about the growth mindset we have a lot of guests who actually emphasize that a lot of the patterns that they see in people who are going through boot camps and actually are succeeding are people who never stop learning. And um, I think this is a good segue for the lightning round. Sure. And this is the part where um, <laughs> Arthur Rubin and I will ask you several questions and try to give us tactical advice, any strategies, resources that you've used to get where you are today. Sure. So Arthur, take it away. Yeah. So from your journey, you've uh, moved to a few new cities. So <laughs> imagine if you were moving to another new city and you didn't know anybody and you only had $100 in your wallet, kind of what would you do and how would you get started? Hmm. Well, if I was in San Francisco, I would probably, assuming I had a phone or I was borrowing someone's phone since I don't have any money, I'd probably go and try to find a hackathon or I'd try to find some kind of networking event and I would just go. And I would probably use that money to get into the hackathon. (laughs) And I would meet people there. I would network. I would try to learn from them. I would try to build something that would hopefully make me some money. And what are hackathons for folks who may not know? Okay. So hackathons are, they're actually not generally, they're not like hacking into computers or or things like that. It's more, they're actually generally more building things. So it'll be like a competition where a bunch of people will come together around a theme. Like, and I, I recently went to a women's health hackathon and so all the apps that people were pitching were to improve access to women's health and you know going to those events are really awesome when you're first starting out and if you're trying to break into tech you meet people you meet you get to you learn so much from the people around you it's a great networking opportunity and you generally like come out with like something to show for it so i think that would be a good start Awesome. So you're um you're a musician. Your story has gone up and down. Or <laughs> you're an artist. Your story has gone up and down. You're a singer. Um, has was there any like piece or musical play or movie that you watched that helped you go through uh, one of those dark times? You know, you can you can say it or you can like sing some bars from it if you want to. <laughs> well, I don't know if I want to <laughs> sing right now, but I do. When my senior year of college, I was in a production of The Secret Garden. And I, if you don't know about the Secret Garden, it's it's about this little girl who she loses her whole family dies in India, and she goes to live with her old uncle in like England. And it's a story about this little lost girl and her uncle who is also very lost, and sort of like the characters around around this this old this old house. Those I, I guess like a kind of like a castle it's not what do you call it what are those it's not a castle it's a a manor maybe like a manor yeah like downtown abbey like yeah something like that yeah. <laughs> and uh so mary lennox she basically finds herself through all the people that work there and like her her nanny and the basically they discover the garden and one of the things mary's kind of depressed at that point she gets there she's depressed she feels unloved and she finds 
her new family and like a, a renewed sense of of life through the people that she meets. And uh, I had this amazing director at Northwestern who we actually worked with because Mary was an orphan. We actually worked with a, an orphanage in Chicago wow. and had them come to see the show. And I did a Q&A with them because I, I played Mary Lennox in the show. Nice. And uh, it was really it was really powerful because like I think at that point I was I was having a lot of struggles and I could really relate to Mary's story. And it was yeah, it was it was very transformative time. I left like, oh, and another thing we did, we raised a bunch of money for the orphanage through that place. It's kind of like a family of strangers, even though they were kind of family and you find yourself and there's a lot of parallels to kind of like the people that helped you out to get to this point. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. And speaking of helping others, I think you mentioned that you have uh, a little sister, right? Oh, yes. You're eight years (laughs) older, so shout out to your little sister. Um, How old is she now? Haley's 20 now. (laughs) Okay, so if you had to give your sister some advice, Mm -hmm. uh, and you've been through this amazing journey, you've uh, learned a lot, you've faced with rejection, what advice would you give her in terms of uh, like just life advice or career advice or anything that you would have wanted to know if you were her age? Hmm. Well, I think that Haley has one of the biggest hearts I, of anyone I know. She's one of the kindest, funniest people I know. And I think that she needs to, to trust herself to work hard, which I think she's one of the hardest workers I know too. And things don't come easy to her. And I think that, you know, she just needs, she needs to trust herself. She needs to follow her gut. And she's already a huge light in my life. And I know that she is for a lot of people in her life too. That's awesome. That's yeah. And for all of our listeners, uh, just keep grinding no matter where you are in your life. If you work hard, no one's going to be able to stop you. And a lot of times, even though you ha- might not have broken in, I'm talking to the listeners now, you be surprised how much you inspire people that may be in a position that you want to be just watching your grind on the way up so we can all shine lights no matter what position that we're in. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, kind of through your journey, what is one thing that surprised you once you got into tech? Like once you got became a software engineer at Slack, was there anything that was kind of surprising to you or unexpected? Yeah, I was surprised by how many creative people there are in tech. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny, like and my you're coming from musical theater, and I'm coming from musical creative. theater. That I, I think the kind of people in the industries are are surprisingly similar, <laughs> and even just like there's at Slack, there are, I'm not like my there are people like my manager. He was before he became an engineer. He did his undergrad at NYU in music. I think he used to play the trumpet basically wow. professionally, and uh, or the trombone. I forget which one, but he, you know, there's people here that um like used to sing opera and you know people who are i don't know that just have these diverse interests these non-traditional backgrounds these non-traditional backgrounds oh. there are quite a few of us here yeah so the startups are not very uniform with everyone having a computer science degree is that what you're saying yeah basically <laughs> that's kind of what i was what was surprising <laughs> yeah yeah and then as far as like resources that you've discovered along the way i know you had some things that you went through coming in, but now that you are in here, do you still read or do you still have like these, are you continuing to learn on the side or mentoring some people that you're like, hey, read this book, go to this resource, this is what you got to do? Oh yeah. I mean, I, when I, I had written a blog post my first week of Hackbrite 
and a lot of people who were interested had reached out to me after that and so like I would and random people I used to go to school with have emailed me and what's like, the name of the post I think it's called like how to optimize your first week of a boot camp or something like that nice. <laughs> and what's your blog name so they could find it it's carly has red hair but uh yeah i'm basically i used uh so slack gives us a professional development fund so i bought a bunch of tech books and i've been working through them with mentors i take supplemental courses online i've had a subscription to like code school and treehouse that i work through i gave my brother a subscription to treehouse oh that's a great gift awesome yeah so yeah i'm always i'm always trying to keep up my education and that that's one of the reasons why i was attracted to this field in the first place because there's always more to learn you can't like plateau there's no one who knows everything and uh so yeah there's you have to always be learning in every field yeah that's mm-hmm. amazing so for our listeners who want to get in touch with you do you have a twitter or how to, how what's the best way for them to reach out to you sure i mean i have a, I have a twitter i have a website that has all my contact information on it it's carly.codes and yeah, so reach out to me on Twitter. Reach out to me the Twitter by email. Name is Carly has red hair. Yeah, my Twitter is Carly has red hair. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much. You have a you have a really inspirational story, and I think there's a lot of people in the creative fields who might not have been thinking about tech, but now your interview changed their mind, and at least now they might consider breaking in and following your stories. So Last question. We appreciate that. Mm-hmm. When's the next show? <laughs> the next show. Am I going to perform ever again? We'll see. I uh, TBD. TBD. But <laughs> but hopefully soon. Okay. Sounds <laughs> cool. good. All right. We'll look off. Yeah. It. Thanks a lot, Carly. All right. All right thanks, guys. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.